Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello. How you doing, everybody? Have I told you lately that if you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, give us a review if you've got the time and you've got the inclination. We'd really appreciate that. That's great. This is episode number 116 of The Next Track. So, Kirk... So you and I have, we've never physically met in person. We only know each other via screens. We've known each other for quite some time, 10, 15 years, I forget. But anyway, whenever I see you, you always invariably have a T-shirt on, a T-shirt, a printed T-shirt. It's usually The Grateful Dead or Bob Dylan. In fact, we've made fun of that frequently throughout the history of the show. And occasionally I also wear T-shirts. Now, we, we work at home. We can dress however we want. We have no dress code. So we can, you know, we can still dress like looser teenagers living in our <laughs> parents' basement if we want. I don't I don't always, in fact, to make sure that I don't feel that way, I don't wear concert tees and things like that all the time. Sometimes I'll wear a polo just to make sure that I remind myself that I'm still an adult. Have you ever not worn these or is this just something that you settled into wearing the t-shirts? I'm just curious. This is something that evolved over time. As you say, we work at home so we can wear whatever we want. And and my my uniform for most of the year is sweatpants and flannel shirts. Many years ago, I realized that I don't care enough about clothes to want to go clothes shopping very often. So I just decided what I like and I buy these flannel shirts from Land's End which I used to get imported from the States, and now you can get them over here. And I have about 15 of them, different colors, blue and green and red and gray and all that. And sweatpants. I have two pairs of sweatpants, and I alternate them. Um, <laughs> so when my sweatpants get worn out, I buy two new pairs and throw the old one old ones out. You know, people like Steve Jobs were right. Why spend your time worrying about what you wear? Find something to wear and stick with it. I think um, a lot of gentlemen our age, or at least when I was about 40, I decided, wait a minute, just get a couple of pairs of chinos, a couple of pairs of Levi's, some polo shirts, some this, that, and the other thing, and just keep buying them over and over again and get them as cheap and as well-made as you can, and, and that's the thing. But the one thing I've been willing not to be so rigorous about is are my T-shirts, are my printed T-shirts. What should we call them? Custom T-shirts? What are, what are they? Band T-shirts? Band T-shirts. I wouldn't call them logo T-shirts because neither of us wear T-shirts with logos of brands like Adidas, Apple, or anything like that. So I said most of the year I wear the final shirt, but when it gets warm enough to wear the final shirt open or take it off, then I have to have a printed T-shirt because plain T-shirts just look plain. They look sloppy. They look slovenly. <laughs> they look irresponsible in a certain way. So you want to fill that space with something interesting rather than just have the plain. Exactly. It's more to have something interesting. It's a canvas. It's a canvas. Your a, chest is a canvas. Well, it's a kind of performance art in many ways. Yeah. But it is also a statement of belonging. And that's what's interesting with T-shirts or bands in particular, that when you wear a t-shirt with a band logo or name on it, you're belonging to a group. You're, you're indicating to others that you belong to the group. We're past that age where we need to indicate to others that we belong to the group, yeah. frankly. So in, in many ways, it's just a sort of um, a truculent way of enjoying the, the wonderful graphic possibilities of Grateful Dead t-shirts. Of all the bands in the world, they certainly have the widest variety of graphic styles and and logos and options well it, you say that being of course a grateful deadhead but um i mean other people would certainly say that there are other 
wicked cool t-shirts out there man yeah but do you know other bands where there are like 20 wicked cool t-shirts at any time i don't but i think i think collectors would would say that well maybe the rolling stones or the who or uh bands who've been touring for a long time there's there's a sort of a heritage of these you know I've got the T-shirt from 74, and I've got the T-shirt from 79, and I've got the T-shirt from... Yeah, but the dead come up with new T-shirts every year. Oh, I see. Right, of course. I see. It's so, an apparel. It's a line of apparel, then. It's, it is. It is. They release one big box set a year these days, and then they release the Dave's Picks series, and there's always a new group of T-shirts that come with the new box set. Sometimes it's like four or six. When the Europe 72 box set came out, they took four of the concert covers... Each, each concert was in a set in the CD box. They took four of the covers, four, four of the album artwork of the concerts, and they put them on different T-shirts, and I bought all four of them because they were nice looking. Other box sets, they maybe had two or three. They, they always have a certain logo for each one that comes out, and they're constantly changing. Now, to, to be fair, The Dead has become a sort of a, a highly commercial enterprise for band-related items like sandals and coasters and wine glasses oh, is that right? and yeah um i'll put a link in the show notes to the the grateful dead website dead.net and it's a little embarrassing at times some of the stuff that they sell well you know i remember when the rolling stones would license the, the lapping tongue to a lot of you know there'd be jewelry and keychains and lighters and pens and god knows what else hammers and wrenches hammers and wrenches now that would be cool screwdriver sets Hammer, screwdriver socket wrenches with the with the tongue in various sizes I, I wanted i i lusted for a rolling stones lapping tongue so much when i was a teenager i made one myself that's how i was about it i was i took a red marker and i and some black pens and i it was a fairly decent job but it wasn't authentic i got one i eventually did get one when i was older but but I remember being 13, 14 years old, and I said, I've got to get the lapping tongue on a T-shirt fast to let people know that I'm a Rolling Stones fan. Well, I'm looking at the Dead site now, and you can buy things such as a water bottle, portly pint pottery mug, <laughs> a bolt enamel camping mug, a double-sided mug with the Steal Your Face logo, a Coleman cooler. So this is all stuff you could use to... to um, uh, uh, accord yourself with uh you know with living on the road with the grateful dead like you could get the water bottles and the coffee mugs uh, yes but the... you can also get bar stools sure well i'm sure that crowd like you know needs to sit down once in a while rubik's cubes pennants kaleidoscopes a recycled wine bottle soy candle <laughs> that is so grateful dead and there's dozens of stickers in fact they have stickers i think for every one of those europe 72 shows yeah um do browse the Grateful Dead store page if you have a minute. It is quite interesting. But the T-shirts are nice. I mean, they get really good artists. And, of course, there's the Dead's historical iconography, you know, the Steal Your Face, which is the, the skull with the lightning bolt in it. Right. I'm looking now. There's more than a dozen different types of T-shirts, one for a specific concert, one for an album that's 50 years old being re-released, all sorts of them. The one I have on today is... From a concert in 823 and 824, I believe, 1971. It is a classic example of dead iconography, the skull and roses. I'll stand up so you can see it here. I feel like we're, I'm watching Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> Who knows? It might actually be worth a lot of money. I think it was sold as a distressed T-shirt, so, you know, pre-worn and all that. Oh, so it's already ruined. <laughs> right. 
That's one of the things that I used to. I, I, a lot of my old T-shirts just disintegrate. Yeah. They just eventually just completely disintegrate because you want to wear them a lot. That's the unfortunate thing. You want to wear them a lot, but you know, in order to to actually get one, you probably paid a cheaper price, and of course, you got a crummy T-shirt. Well, that's why you need to have more of them because you put them in rotation, and then you don't wear any one of them too often. I just happen to be wearing this T-shirt today. I didn't plan on wearing it. It is. It's the official promo shirt for the Deftones uh, Adrenaline album, and I got it when the album came out and that came out in 95 or 96 or something so it's easily how old is that 25 years old this t-shirt is, is held up for years and and i've worn it frequently and the only person ever who ever said oh hey great record was a mac repair specialist in boston when i was bringing my mac in and he said great t-shirt like but i mean after 25 years so Sometimes being having a special T-shirt doesn't really make much sense to some people. It's a great T-shirt, though. I like right, it. but but you've pointed out one of the interesting things about T-shirts. It, it marks you as belonging to a tribe, and when you see another member of the tribe, they'll say something to you or they'll smile. Um, two, two examples. Once I was in Whitby. It's in Yorkshire on the east coast of Yorkshire. It's on the sea. Very famous because that's the city where Dracula arrived on the ship in the novel. Oh, yeah. And my partner and I were there this was five years ago and we're hanging out eating takeaway fish and chips and there's a bunch of people walking down the stairs and someone had a steal your face shirt on it. So I did a thumbs up and he did a thumbs up. It's like, hey, fellow deadhead. You did not speak? No, we didn't need to. We 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 did one of those mind meld things. No special deadhead handshake or anything like that? No, Just a no. Thumbs up? At least not that I know of. Okay. And, and when I saw Dylan a couple years ago, Either when I was walking in or walking out, someone... He was wearing a dead T-shirt? No, someone in the row said, hey, nice shirt. And I was wearing a dead shirt. I wasn't wearing a Dylan shirt. You don't wear a Dylan shirt to a Dylan concert, do you? Oh, that's a bit much. That's yeah. bit, that would be wrong. Yeah. So I had a dead shirt and someone said, nice shirt. So they were saying, hey, I'm a deadhead too, that kind of thing. It's that yeah. belonging thing. And of course, we're old enough that we don't need to, but there is still something ironic about it in a way. I mean, I, I do appreciate the dead iconography. There aren't many bands whose iconography I, I really like. I have two Dylan t-shirts. I bought them on sale. They're not really great. He doesn't have a great logo. He doesn't have great designs. There might be a couple of t-shirts I would want to buy, like a Clash London Calling t-shirt, you know, with the album. But that's just reproducing the album. Or or like the um, Joy Division first album thing yeah. with those little waves on it yeah. that would make a nice t-shirt dark side of the moon things like that oh that's cliche you, you probably you probably see millennials wearing the dark side of the moon t-shirt i'm sure they're sold at target <laughs> you know it, the album t-shirt is nice but i think the the t-shirt i used to be most envious of were the tour shirts where you let the world know that you saw this band and this was the year you saw it and then there was all the other dates on the back and you know some some cool tour name for that year, for that particular U.S. tour or European tour, whatever they were doing, or world tour or something like that. I never had one of those, and I always I, I always thought that those were cool T-shirts. I never had one either. That's funny. I never bought them. I think the reason might be because, at least back in the day, they were the T-shirts that the band sold officially. Right. And I would buy the bootleg T-shirts from the guys on the corner of Madison Square Garden instead of on the main steps. You know those kind of cheap black, cotton that didn't last too long and it came apart at the seams but that had good designs and they were like six bucks and the official ones were maybe 12 bucks back then i mean god you look today 
I think at the Dylan concert, they were selling T-shirts for 35 pounds. That's like $50. Fortunately, the dead only sells them for about 25 or even 20 which is, you know, it's an honest price for a T-shirt since it costs a buck to make. I'm sure if you looked around, you could, prob- you could probably find a lot of third-party knockoffs. Oh, there's stuff tons too. of that, and Amazon sells lots of it. But, you know, there is something to be said to have a good design because the knockoff ones are just reproducing the same old logos, whereas... Again, with the dead stuff, they have, they're constantly renewing their, their product line. Right. We used to keep um, what, our, what our promotions director called a swag closet, and we would accumulate things to bring to radio promotions. You know, we were doing a bar night or something, we'd bring the stuff. And he used to try to hold on to T-shirts because they really were the most popular item. If you said in your promo, we'll be there on Thursday night with T-shirts you got a crowd. And it didn't make any difference what was on the T-shirt. We eventually discovered that it doesn't make any difference what's on the T-shirt. Just give them the T-shirt or give them something they can leave with them. I talk about them as if they aren't my fellow human beings. (laughs) Um, Because I would have done the same thing. I probably would have thought, of course, I'll take the T-shirt. Someone I know will want it. My wife wants some new pajamas or something, whatever, how it works out. But yeah, they were most popular. Or and then after that, CDs and you know concert tickets, obviously. But the easiest thing to give away was T-shirts. That gives me an idea. Maybe we should make a next track T-shirt. Or you know, people can make it themselves, like you know I did with the lapping tongue. It's just get a marker, write the words "the next track" on your shirt. Yeah, it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be official. We'll look into that. Drop us a line on our show page if you would want to buy a next track T-shirt to help support the next track among other things, and to show others that you care about the next track. And we'll look into it. There are companies that do this where you don't have to do a minimum order. I, I, so. I, I'm a firm believer in, in, in this creativity. I think that people can make their own and then submit it. And then maybe if their design is, we could, have, we could use their design. We could try that. So I remember back in the day how important it was to have T-shirts for certain bands. And there was one that I wore, and it lasted a long time. It was a Yes T-shirt. It was like... um. Like one of those baseball type things with the the sleeves were green, the t-shirt was white, and it just had the Yes logo in color. And I wore this shirt all the time for one or two summers, probably 77 and 78. And that was a big score because back in the day, you couldn't go to some local store and buy t-shirts. No. You could only get them at the concert. Either that or by mail order. I used to get several um, t-shirts, or I used to see them anyway, t-shirt catalogs. And I know I bought t-shirts you know, through the mail. Yeah, I never did. It was only at concerts. Another thing that's interesting is back in the day, so this is up until like 1984 when I left New York because then I was in France and for a long time I didn't go to concerts. I don't remember ever seeing what today we would call a merch table. And now if you go to any concert, even classical concerts, after the concert, you'll have the artist often coming out to sign CDs that they're selling at a table. I don't remember ever seeing that in concerts at Madison Square Garden, the Palladium, Radio City Music Hall, Places like that. Yeah, I remember a little of it. I mean, it not at first, but once they st- once the concerts started turning into little businesses, you know, and they had a, you know, I mentioned earlier they would have a a, a, a tour name. It would be and the, everything would be geared towards that. For some reason, I remember the Jacksons when they toured when Michael was really big. There was a the whole thing was just there to generate publicity, to sell tickets, and to sell junk at their place. And I know that they had merch tables, and I know they had all that. But uh, anyway, as far as – I used to see merch tables occasionally, but I, I I don't think I could be certain that they were third-party or, you know, official gear. But later on, definitely saw more official merch stuff 
definitely you know what, what you would call the merch table now and definitely when you went to a club you would frequently see a local band or a small or a regional touring band selling stuff um that goes back i remember that 20 30 years ago well in the small venues they would be selling their cassettes back in the day but not t-shirts i mean i i never saw bands that would be selling t-shirts i'm thinking when i saw bands like the cure and ultravox in in the early 80s they weren't ever selling anything they weren't even selling cassettes or records. that's true uh, yeah um, but certainly not t-shirts yeah. i can't imagine that they would even want to be bothered with it yeah. but uh, but some bands did yeah because because that's the thing remember if, if if it's not a huge band in there and they're driving around in a van or a small bus they need to get people to sell this stuff and the roadies are busy and the tour manager he can't do it i think in in the movie almost famous there was some brief mention of t-shirts i mean they had t-shirts printed and it was like the one guy in the front and the others in the back and they weren't happy but at one point there was some talk of getting a few people to sell t-shirts it's like you'd hire some local kids give them backstage passes and have them sell t-shirts before and after the the gig or something but it wasn't ever at that time it wasn't official i mean again madison square garden where i used to go to a lot of concerts i really don't remember seeing any of that I guess what I'm remembering is that local bands would have this stuff. So naturally, they would have local friends who would be willing to sit at the merch table right. and, and do that kind of thing. So I'm definitely remembering that. Who'd sort already of thing. heard the band play a hundred times, and they really didn't care about hearing them a hundred and first. So it's not just T-shirts, though. I have a Steely baseball hat. Oh, Steely is what we call the Steel Your Face logo, the skull oh. and, and lightning bolt. No, because there's nothing worse, in my opinion, to wearing a baseball hat with a logo like beep or beep oh yeah <laughs> see i am not a i am an anti-logo person if i i generally will not buy clothes with a logo and if the clothes have logo and i can cut it off i'll cut it off you won't see me wearing a t-shirt with the the brand name of some sneaker company okay yet for, yet for bands i'm totally you know i'm more than happy because again it's expressing your belonging to something the problem is that it's like i've got grateful dead t-shirts and i've got Dylan t-shirts and I've got a couple other things and I wouldn't mind having like a Henry James t-shirt or a James <laughs> Joyce t-shirt or I've seen those you know, you know uh, National Public Radio or public television would offer that sort of thing Beethoven t-shirts and Mozart t-shirts yeah Beethoven like and Mozart are a little bit too cliche those those you would expect to see as t-shirts but I'm thinking you know more obscure things like I don't know a T.S. Eliot t-shirt there's this wonderful picture that Wyndham Lewis painted of T.S. Eliot. That would be great on a t-shirt. And you can probably buy these. You know, there's these companies that sell all these posters of art and photos and stuff, and they probably sell t-shirts as well. So you, you basically select the artwork you want, and you can choose any of a number of different sizes, framed or not, plates, mugs, and all sorts of things. That reminds me, you mentioned it just now, tour posters. You could buy tour posters at the show, and usually they were official. Um, I don't remember. I used to. I never had one. I, I didn't pick up a lot of posters because the fact of the matter is, you'd bring it home, you'd tape it on your dorm wall. The end of the semester, you'd roll it up, you take it home, and it never looked the same again. So you know, because you'd crunch it up or using it to roll joints or what? what I don't know what people use posters for. They use them but, to hide the cracks in the wall and the bad painting. Generally, sure, sure. No, I don't remember that. The other thing is buttons, though, and buttons were big in the in the in the sort of new wave period buttons were a thing at the same time that punks were doing all this stuff with safety pins a lot of indie bands had buttons because that was a that was a cheap way to promote a band it, it didn't take up space it wasn't as complicated as a t-shirt easy to send by mail easy and cheap to make you could buy 
dozens of them. Yeah, I've got some someplace. I know I've got a Joy Division. I've got a Derudi column. I have a Joe Jackson. Oh, I had a uh, Look Sharp book. I might have gotten that at a concert at the Palladium. And I remember I had a denim jacket with like four or five band buttons on back in the day. Oh, yeah. Back in uh, my last couple of years in college, I bought a Navy officer's bridge coat. And it was long black overcoat that I used to wear in the winter all the time. And, of course, the upper portion and the lapels were just covered with buttons and stickers. So what else did we have that went with bands that represented their logos? I, had, I mentioned uh, a week or two ago that I had a Know Your Right sticker from a Clash single. And I put it on my guitar case. Right. People always had lots of stickers on their guitar cases. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mentioned the New Order sticker on my scooter. That was uh, a thing. Yes. Although. The handmade New Order sticker. Right. Made no, with it wasn't handmade. It came from the album. Um, yeah. Well, you know, if you if you really wanted to impress people, you had a, a significant, uh, significantly large box of cassettes or eight tracks in your car. And that would also... You know, people would come in and look at that and, and and judge what kind of tribes you belong to. Well, you mentioned you mentioned cars, bumper stickers. Bumper stickers were a thing. You know, I don't think I've ever seen a bumper sticker in the UK. I don't know if they're illegal or if it's just not part of the culture. You you can't you can't walk a hundred feet in the US without seeing bumper stickers. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen one here, except maybe on a truck. You know, if you can see this, you're too close. That kind of bumper sticker. Yeah. How's my driving? That sort of thing. Yeah, but they don't do bumper stickers here. That's interesting. Stickers, though, stickers have become popular among a certain group of people these days. And instead of putting them on like a guitar case, they put them on their laptops. And a lot of app developers give away stickers because people like to, you know, this is the way they show their belonging. Because remember, these people are all sitting around at a table with their laptops open. So people see the back, the top of the laptop when it's unfolded while the other person is typing and not paying attention to them. So I guess this is a way of showing, you know, you're belonging to certain things, maybe free software, maybe a specific app, maybe a company that you really like. Lots of people probably, if they're not real Apple fans, they'll put a sticker over the Apple logo on their laptop so it doesn't show up. Yeah, I used to have a sticker on a, a laptop. I got it from a company that specialized in, in Apple uh, stickers. In this case, it was Iron Man. It was a full picture of Iron Man that was a sticker on the back of the laptop, but where his arc reactor is was was a hole, and it allowed the Apple logo to shine through it. So it was it was pretty cool, I guess. But the thing about having stickers on your laptop is that you've got stickers on your laptop. Exactly what I was going to say. I know that if I put a sticker on my Mac, it won't come off right, and I'll try to get it off with some sort of soap or something, and I'll end up scratching it. And then when I go to resell it on eBay, it's going to be worth you know ten percent right. less. So never bothered. But I guess the people who do that, they just assume that they're never going to sell it. See, I wouldn't mind putting a Grateful Dead sticker on my laptop. But who would see it? You would. I mean, I only use my laptop at home, essentially, unless I'm you know, traveling for some reason. But I don't sit opposite other people with my laptop. So these days, T-shirts are multi-billion dollar big business, aren't they? Well, I suppose so. I mean, not only are they making money from the sale of the actual item, but they're also marketing whatever is on the t-shirt so it's a uh, hopefully it self-perpetuates some bands and artists sell t-shirts that are really expensive uh, i mentioned that the grateful dead they're like 25 bucks usually and i just went to the taylor swift online store just at random to see what some sort of artist appealing to young people sells them for and some of them are only 30 bucks you get down there's 40 for a tank top 50 for a a tour tee with a snake design 40 for a Heather Gray tour tee, so that's one with the dates. 
And that's not excessive. Now, I'm guessing that that is pure marketing in the sense that they know that their demographic can't afford to pay high prices for T-shirts because they've paid so much for tickets. So this is a way of not alienating too many people. Yeah, I still think they could be cheaper, though, because we all know how much T-shirts cost, but whatever. But they cost a buck. Yeah. Um, to, to, to be even, even if you buy them to just make a bunch. In the early 1980s, a couple friends of mine and I, we made a little magazine called Bogus Review. It's a little literary magazine. We did literature and music and all that. And we financed it by selling T-shirts. I wish I still had one left. The logo was really nice. It was bogus. It's the thought that counts. And we sold like 50 of them. And my roommate's father, he made T-shirts. It was his business to do silk screening. And I don't remember what they cost, but it was only a few bucks for the T-shirt, even paying him for the silk screening. And I think we sold them for $8. Maybe we paid three or something. So they were relatively inexpensive, even in a batch of like 50. That's true. I did, I did speak impetuously when I said they should be cheaper because technically... If they're for an art, I mean, Taylor Swift doesn't need the money, I guess. But if they're for something that you support, then, you know, that's certainly a consideration that, well, maybe expense wouldn't be, uh, isn't, isn't a consideration. If it's, you know, I've right. got to have so, it. So our next track t-shirts, what should we sell them for? 30 bucks? Yeah. Because it'll be to support the show. Right. It will be for listeners to show that they want to help us continue this show. Right. Exactly. That's how we would do it. Okay. Well, think about this. I'm thinking about it right now. I probably shouldn't be thinking about it now. What I have to think about now is my next track, and hopefully you've got yours ready to go. Recently, I've been rereading The Portrait of a Lady by Henry James, one of my favorite Henry James novels, among all of the Henry James novels that I really like. Henry James is like the literary equivalent of The Grateful Dead for me. And there's this wonderful line that I didn't remember. Isabel Archer comes into the drawing room of this house, and there's a woman she's never seen, and she's playing the piano, and it turns out she's playing Schubert. And one of the characters says... I'm afraid there are moments in life when even Schubert has nothing to say to us. We must admit, however, that they are our worst. And that's kind of how I feel about Schubert. For me, he's, as much as I like Bach and Beethoven and, and Takamitsu and Morton Feldman and Steve Reich, there's something about Schubert that speaks to me above and beyond all other composers. So I was reading this last night in my bedroom, so I said, hey, I'm going to put some Schubert on my HomePod. Now, since it's so difficult to search for music... With the remote app, I was going in my iTunes library. I didn't really know what to put on, and I came across what's a really good selection of Schubert's piano work by Albert Brendel. It's from the Brendel Artist's Choice selection, and he released a number of records some years ago where he would choose his favorite music by Schubert, Beethoven, Schumann, etc., and each one is a one- or two-CD set. And it has, let's see, one, two, three, four, five piano sonatas. These are all live recordings, his Artist Choice series was unreleased recordings, things that hadn't been previously released on record, and there hadn't been that many live recordings by Brendel. These were all radio recordings. And it's a wonderful selection from, you know, the 14th Piano Sonata to the final um, D960. He covers a, a wide range of Schubert's work, two and a half hours. Alfred Brendel, for me, is one of the best pianists for playing Schubert. And as much as I don't really like live recordings of classical music that end with applause... The performances here are wonderful. So this is a two-CD set, Alfred Brendel, Artist Choice, Schubert Piano Sonatas. Doug, what about you? In 1972, Rolling Stones Records released a record called Jamming with Edward. And I used to see this at the back of the Rolling Stones bins at record stores. And then later I saw it in cutout bins. It seemed nobody bought this record. And even though it's 
essentially a Rolling Stones record. It's it's kind of not. And I'm not really sure why they put this record out. But anyway, jamming with Edward, Edward is Nicky Hopkins. And this is music recorded during the Rolling Stones' Let It Bleed sessions in 1969. And apparently it's a sort of a waiting on Keith Richards sort of thing. They had some studio time. Nicky Hopkins, Ry Cooter, Mick Jagger, Bill Wyman, and Charlie Watts just jammed for, I, I'm presuming, a little longer than the actual recording, which is less than 40 minutes. But there are six songs on this album. And when I first heard it as a teenager, when I was you know, looking for more new Rolling Stones music, it really didn't appeal to me because it doesn't have a Brown Sugar or a Honky Tonk Women or a Jumpin' Jack Flash on it. It's got just five guys just jamming. And occasionally Mick Jagger will throw some vocals in. I did eventually hear it, probably in the 90s. I finally got a chance to sit down and listen to it because nobody I knew had it. And it's not that bad. I still wonder why they released it at all. But it's a very interesting sort of thing. If you're interested in, you know, this kind of thing, this kind of jamming, it's like just a bunch of studio guys just jamming in the studio. Um, it's really interesting because it has that let it bleed sound. Mick Jagger does a lot of harmonica playing and it, it almost sounds like they're, you know, they're getting ready to record Midnight Rambler or something like that. But it's a really interesting record. Not one of my favorite records, but an interesting artifact from that late 60s, early 70s Rolling Stones period. If you've never given it a listen, well, we've got it in the show notes and you can listen to it. Jamming with Edward featuring Nicky Hopkins, Ry Cooter, Mick Jagger, Bill Wyman, and Charlie Watts is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.